Hello everyone and welcome to All Bark No Dice, the official tabletop talk show of the Fundamentals. This is Dan Arndt rolling in. This episode I'm joined by Ashley Warren, a writer and editor responsible for just a whole mess of cool tabletop things like the Uncaged Anthology series and the RPG Writer Workshop. Her most recent work is as a writer on Rime of the Frostmaiden for Wizards of the Coast, which released in September, and Hecna, a spooky setting for D&D from Hit Point Press that just made a whole bunch of money on Kickstarter. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Thanks for having me, and I appreciate how you said a whole mess of things, because that is definitely how I feel about it as well. (laughs) So the thing I wanted to start out with is how you sort of got into writing, Um, maybe both how you started out as writing with just in general with fiction and uh and what drew you to that and then maybe a little bit about what drew you into rpgs i feel like i've been a writer pretty much my whole life which i know a lot of writers say but i definitely feel like it's it's accurate for me i have always loved books and reading and from an early age i just always had my head in a book and then I realized, hey, I could also write books. If I love books this much, if I love stories, I could also write stories. And for me, writing was really just a personal endeavor for many years. I just, I loved writing. I loved writing stories just for myself. And I loved taking stories that I loved and kind of putting my own spin on them. And I would spend hours journaling. I would say that writing in my journal was probably my favorite hobby as a child. And I've just always enjoyed the literary arts in some capacity. And Mm -hmm. my parents were always really supportive of that, which I'm really grateful for. And my mom was always like entering me into, you know, children's writing contests and uh, writing like book reports and things for like the local library. They always had these like children's programs and things like that. So it was just, it just became something that was really a big part of my identity from a really young age. And yeah. yeah, and ever since then, I've just, I've always been a writer. I just always knew that in some capacity, I wanted to write professionally. I didn't really care exactly how that manifested just because I love to learn how to write different types of uh, literary work. And I knew that I would just find ways to surround myself with with books and stories in, in some way. So that's that's pretty much been a driving force in my life. So yeah, in that sense, I, I think I've just always been a writer. I've always taken it really seriously too, where when I decided early on in my life that I wanted to write or do something with books, whether that was be a librarian or be a, a teacher or something like that, that I wanted to to take it seriously and really learn the craft as much as I could. And yeah, I, I dedicated myself to that pretty early on. Did you, uh, did you do, um, do, uh, did you get your, you know, degree in, in writing in English or did you? So my degree is actually, my undergrad degree is in English literature because for me, I really felt that studying literature and understanding literary theory would really suit me well for a variety of, of fields, depending on what I chose to do with with that degree. And uh, like I mentioned, I've, I've never necessarily had one specific vision for the kind of writer I wanted to be. I don't necessarily like, I didn't want to be like just a novelist or just, 
you know, one thing or another. I just, I also like, I really wanted to teach and do other things with writing. So I just felt that having an English literature degree would be a good foundation, which it certainly has been for me personally. And then I have my graduate degree in literacy studies. So for me, that kind of built upon what I studied in my English literature program. I also got a minor in French and uh, made sure to, you know, study other languages and incorporate, you know, linguistics and, uh, you know, all those other uh, kind of subtopics. And then I built upon that with my graduate work, where I focus mostly on uh, teaching writers, like working with other writers, uh, and also just like new literacies and all the different ways that people can, you know, both uh, produce content for different mediums, but also consume content, you know, especially like on the internet. So I have always been kind of uh, trying to build my academic experience like upon, you know, each degree and try to have a pretty holistic view there. And yeah, I mean, and then general, like I, I try to take, uh, you know, writing workshops when I can and uh, alongside, you know, running writing workshops. And I, I don't know, I'm always kind of studying. I try to take a very academic perspective on anything that I do in general. Awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, that's very, uh, I mean, I'm a English major graduate and finished up an MFA and that's fascinating the um, literacy studies MA. I'd not heard of that but I'm very curious because it's interesting how that uh, intersects between the the creative um, end of things and the more uh, instruction kind of masters I've seen in English. It's very cool um, and I wholeheartedly agree with the you know reading and getting that literary basis for any kind of writing is really important um, not essential, but mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm biased. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's for anyone who, you know, aspires to do something in the literary field, there's a lot of different paths to that you don't have to have an English degree to do any of this. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of value in writing degrees and writing programs. And I just felt like for me personally, I love research, I love education, like those are the kind of the three pillars of my identity are writing teaching and research. So I felt like if I could constantly be uh, developing those skills, then I would always find opportunities that I was excited about. And I know there's kind of this, you know, this ongoing uh, joke in society that English majors don't get jobs, but that's never been the case for me. And I think that's just because I try to take a fairly, uh, I don't know, I, I don't have a very specific like vision for what makes me happy. So I've, I've always been like, gainfully employed as an English major, which I'm, I'm happy to say, but that's, you know, taken many forms over the years. So there's no one path to any of this. Now, when did you, when did you get, when did your journey start on uh, RPGs and D&D? And, and &D? When did you get into it? Sure. So, I mean, I guess in, in general, I've been a professional writer for at least a decade now. I was a, a journalist for quite a few years and had been had published work in, in other capacities, usually related to journalism. And for RPG writing, that's, I still feel like that's a fairly recent endeavor for me just kind of in the scope of my life. So that really began for me in 2017. I had been playing D&D regularly for a couple of years at that point and was just really passionate about it. I just it was a hobby that really started to take over my life just because it really brought together things that I loved so much already, like communal storytelling and uh, being just immersed in these, uh, you know, really atmospheric settings. And I just wanted to try my hand at writing my own adventure content. I 
like everything else I do, I, I made sure to, you know, study adventures. And as I was reading through, you know, the official hardcover books, I, uh, you know, published by D&D, I was like, I, I think I could probably try to figure this out on a, you know, a smaller scale. So I wanted to, you know, just write one shot adventures, because I also enjoyed playing one shot adventures. And so I just kind of started thinking of ideas. Uh, right before I published my first adventure, I went on a family trip to Italy. Uh, my mom's side of the family is Italian. And I was really uh, inspired by all the history and culture there. And I thought it would be fun to make that kind of the theme of my first adventure. And yeah, so I came home and I published my first adventure on DMs Guild in December 2017. And I, I pretty much haven't stopped since then. <laughs> so that's kind of how my journey started. I, I I'm lucky that DMs Guild was a platform available to me to publish because I wasn't really sure how I would go about doing any of that. And yeah, just so happened that there was a platform for me to publish on and I had an idea and that's kind of all it really took. So did you, did, were you, were you playing D&D? Um, is that how you pick or did you pick D&D just the the one that you liked the most or did, was it, you know, I mean, it's the big one, obviously. So yeah, I, 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 I don't mean playing. that, I don't mean that accusingly, I'm just sure. curious how, you know, you landed on it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. It is the big one. I, yeah, I had been playing in a game with my uh, friends for a couple years at that point. We, our dungeon master, who's a close friend of mine, he has been a DM for like decades and he had just a ton of experience and had played all you know the older editions. And I had wanted to play D&D for years. I've wanted to play D&D since I was a kid, but I never really knew anyone who really knew anything about D&D. And, you know, before, uh, you know, the internet, before the rise of live streaming and all that stuff, it, it was, you know, much harder for me to find uh, communities to, you know, really get involved in. So I just didn't really have a chance to. And I think in retrospect, now that I know how D&D works, I would have probably started my own game, but it was just that I didn't know anyone interested in playing D&D. So when, you know, finally in adulthood, when I was in my late 20s, I finally had friends who were like, hey, we should play D&D. Like, this is a hobby that I think we'd all enjoy. And then our friend John was like, well, you know, I've DM'd for decades, so why don't I run a campaign for you? And we were like, absolutely. And then we we all just like really just got super into it pretty much immediately. And yeah, I'm I'm grateful that I finally, you know, got to jump into that with both feet and it has changed my life and I was not expecting it to. That's very cool. And, and those, I love those uh, within any RPG, but you know, within D&D, those guys who have been in it for forever. It's always, you know, some of them are very particular and very picky and sometimes it would be hard to deal with, you know, because they're, you know, they, oh, well, no, it's not as good as 2E, it's not as good as AD&D. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I love the ones who are like, your DM, it sounds like, who are very much just excited for people to get into the game that they've loved for so long. Yes. And I'm grateful that that is how, you know, our DM, John, is. He's very much an enthusiast. He knows D&D inside and out. So it's not that he doesn't have this like, you know, great body of knowledge, but he just is a fan of D&D and a fan of, you know, fantasy. And that really comes through with how he, you know, DMs the, our campaigns for us. And I've since taken over the DM mantle, which has been fun because now I get to DM for John. Um, and I hope, <laughs> hopefully I'm doing an okay job. He sticks around. So I, I think that's hopefully the case. But yeah, I'm really grateful that that was my introduction to D&D because I definitely think that if I had been 
introduced to it differently with someone who might be more, you know, maybe less interested in playing 5e or more, um, you know, vocal about their opinions about things. I, th- that might've tainted my experience with it. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm very grateful that I had a very positive introduction to it. Now, when you've, as you've been, um, getting into the, the, uh, the industry as you've been publishing, you know, you, you had your, you published, um, you know, a few things and then you, you know, you're really within, I mean, and this, this is just from my perspective, you know, from, and really getting known around as, you know, when you started working with the, uh, uncaged anthologies, um, although you obviously, I mean, you have such a huge body of work, um, but I'm curious as you've been getting into it, as you've been getting known and getting your name out, um, have you ever had to deal with some of the some of the issues within RPGs that have plagued a lot of women in the industry when it comes to getting uh, recognized or, or respected or just getting crap from uh, the quote-unquote boys club that kind of traditionally fills RPGs up? Oh, uh, sure. I mean, I think <laughs> I can't think of any of my, you know, fellow female friends in this industry who haven't experienced some fair share of that. I would say like for the most part, my experience in this community has been overwhelmingly positive. So I try not to let those negative, you know, interactions affect my overall opinion. I think that, and I also, I'm a white woman, so I, um, you know, experience things differently than my, you know, fellow women of color. And um, so I can only really speak to my personal experiences, but yeah, sure. It's, you know, it comes in different ways. Uh, Sometimes it's, yeah, older men who are patronizing, you know, especially since I started with fifth edition, they're like, oh, well, you don't know anything about the older editions, which were better or worse in some way or blah, blah, blah. And, and then, uh, you know, if, if I've written something for an existing setting and I haven't, you know, maybe I've omitted a piece of lore that I didn't think was important personally or whatever, uh, you know, some people will be very vocal about that. And then there's like the other side of it where men can sometimes be very creepy. I definitely get my fair share of uh, uninvited messages uh, <laughs> in that you know, not pleasant. I'm not really, don't, I'm happily married, don't really want any of those interactions. And it's just not cool to get those anyway, even if I weren't married. And yeah, not, and I've been part of projects, including on Cage, where people accused it of, you know, ruining D&D, God forbid. But I mean, those in general are few and far between. The The support that I've gotten has just been so just endlessly heartwarming and, and kind of surprising. I just, I feel uh, it's very surreal. And I also feel like my personal community in, uh, you know, in D&D is, you know, pretty diverse. Like even at my own table, it's like, I'm not the only woman at my table. I've played D&D with lots of other women uh, from all walks of life, you know, and just, you know, people of all genders in, in general. Like it's, I am glad that my personal community is, is pretty diverse and, both in D and D and just in my my you know real life outside of that, so I think for for the most part, I I don't get too much of that, but it is kind of the the reality of being someone who is I I guess somewhat well known in this community now that it just it attracts a lot of sometimes unwanted attention, but yeah, it's it's overall it's very it's all good. Yeah, I mean it's definitely changed. I'm always I'm always curious whenever I speak with people within um marginalized communities even even women you know within rpgs it's just not a i'm always curious how you know the industries um because 
I'm a white dude, so I don't really, you know, I've kind of got to be aware of it. But I will say, whenever I see someone has labeled something as ruining D&D, that usually means it's worth it's worth checking out. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's all the good stuff. All the good stuff is what, is what I guess ruins it for some people. Because it usually means that it's it's a project that is, you know, pushing the boundaries of D&D in a positive way, pushing it forward, hopefully making it more progressive. And yeah, I mean, I'm among many who have been accused of that that specific uh, issue of ruining D&D for some, someone who, I don't know, doesn't like playing with people who don't look like them, I guess. It's... It's silly, but I tr- I don't really let that get to me too much. Um, now, when it comes to to writing, um, both um, your you know your more quote unquote traditional work, um, the short stories you work on, and the things you write for Dungeons and Dragons, advent- adventures and stories, what kind of things do you take inspiration from? What do you like to do you like to what do you like to write about? Sure, I feel like that there's a lot of overlap there between what I like to write for for both of those different mediums. I love writing really uh, atmospheric work, and for me that really comes through with um, you know uh, culture and travel and and food and employing the five senses and really making uh, fictional places come to life in ways that feel very real. So I try to never take like real world inspiration like directly from or uh, I try not to take inspiration directly from real world cultures, but I do look to my experiences traveling as just kind of like how it felt to be immersed in a new place. And what are the things that I remember from, you know, different trips that I've taken. And that definitely really, you know, inspires me. And just learning, you know, about music and languages, I I really pull a lot of inspiration from that. So I like to write really uh, character and setting driven type work, both for adventure content and short stories. Uh, Of course, plot is, you know, intrinsic to both of those things, but I really find joy in establishing settings, especially. So I would say that in across all my work, that's something that I really uh, hone in on and what I find really uh, exciting. And that's kind of what got me into writing RPG content is that it is this immersive medium. And so a dungeon master is bringing to life you know, a new place for their players. So what are all the details that they need to really evoke that as much as possible? And so I love writing, you know, a lot of, um, you know, descriptions of new places and really giving DMs the tools to 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 bring that to life for their players. So I would say that's probably my favorite um, kind of sources of inspiration. I also, I love uh, mythology and folklore and I love, you know, classic literature. And so I enjoy opportunities to uh, retell stories that people are familiar with. That's, you know, a big reason why Uncaged came to be. But I kind of take a similar approach in my own uh, fiction work where I, you know, like to study classic tropes and then think of how I could maybe, you know, change those tropes a little bit. So those have always just kind of been my main, um, yeah, my, my, my favorite aspects of, of writing in general. Yeah, and it's uh, great seeing the work you've done with you know speculative fiction which has so many of those those tropes whether it be science fiction or fantasy they're so heavily reliant on tropes you know within their plotting and their characters that it's fun seeing and uh important seeing that a lot of those tropes get get subverted thanks yeah i I appreciate that i i think it's also fun because i 
I think creatives do well when they are given some, you know, limitations and some structure. I think it like unlocks other aspects of our creativity. And so for me, some aspect of retelling or subverting a trope is kind of my personal structure. Like that really uh, gets me thinking about some cool new ideas. So that might not always be the basis of everything that I write, but that's that's kind of what what I've enjoyed for the past, I guess, couple of decades as a writer. So, <laughs> so it served me well so far. Now, we discussed there the sort of similarities between the different things you write, you know, with, with how you handle it. Um, but obviously, a, a, a short story is not the same as an adventure. Mm-hmm. A novel is not the same as a adventure. I'm curious how, a full, you know, a campaign, I'm curious how uh, writing is, feels, is different between the two. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how, if, how your mindset might change or what challenges might arise from, especially I think with, with taking that traditional framework that you have, which is very much a personal thing with writing, like just a short story and writing something that is going to nat- naturally kind of have an infinite number of co-authors because it's that collaboration fiction where mm-hmm. you write out a, a plot, but you're not the one who's actually going to execute it. The person on the other side of the table is the one who's going to see where it ends. Right. I think in some ways, my brain prefers aspects of narrative design to traditional fiction writing because of that. I think that writing a story or, you know, narrative arc that accounts for multiple outcomes, I find really rewarding and really fun to write. And especially in my fiction, I do struggle with plot in terms of like creating a compelling uh, story with, you know, pacing that makes people, you know, not want to put a book down. And so I feel like when it comes to RPGs, I have taken on more ambitious projects than I have with my own fiction work because of that. So in a way, I I think that I, I really do enjoy narrative design and, and accounting for those different options because there are like there is like an infinite amount of ways that a story can play out at a table. And it's not my job necessarily to write every single one of those. It's just my job to give the framework for, you know, here's an interesting story seed. Here are the potential outcomes for it. Here's how to get from point A to point B to point C. And the rest is, you know, up to you and your players. And so I I find that really exciting. And then when it comes to fiction, which, you know, is inherently more passive, which is not a, a bad thing. It's just, you're reading a story that already has this you know, one set outcome that is is fun and challenging in its own ways. But uh, yeah, I think that the, that's definitely kind of the main difference between the two. And I have been going back to doing more fiction writing in the past couple months. And so I have kind of had to change my thinking on that. But I think that my narrative design work has helped me think more strategically about plot and to really hone in on what makes a story compelling, because it's not just the setting and the characters that makes a story good. It's it's the plot and what happens to those characters and how they're changed over time. And so uh, thinking like a narrative designer while writing fiction has actually really served me well. So I'm, I'm glad that I've had a few years to really focus on narrative design work, because now that I'm returning to some more ambitious fiction projects, I feel like I have had more practice in, in plot development. So that's been kind of a unexpected byproduct that I'm happy about. Yeah. And in some ways writing still, you still have to gauge the reaction of your reader Mm -hmm. like you do with, with, with a, with an RPG where with an RPG, you've really got to think, okay, I'm trying to scare them here. I'm trying to make them want to fight this thing. I'm going to, I'm trying to make them want to explore this thing. Mm -hmm. It's the same kind of, 
idea with fiction where you're thinking, I they need to like this character so that when I kill them in 20 pages, they'll feel sad. Right. Or I need to like this character so that when this character, dislike this character so that when the hero uh, kills them, they'll feel like they're happy that it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that knowing how to evoke certain emotions from both players and readers is a really valuable skill that works for both of those mediums. And yeah, that's actually, that's, that's pretty much what I have been reflecting on lately as I return to fiction is making those narrative beats pay off in really fulfilling ways. Because in all my favorite books, that's, you know, something that is uh, very rewarding when you, the writer has seeded something really early on and that comes back later in the book. And I think that that's what makes uh, RPG is so fun is that that happens for us when we're playing at the table or that happens, you know, when the dungeon master uh, plants that seed really early on in the campaign, and then it comes back at level 10. So I think that there's a lot that writers can learn from each other in those different uh, mediums. But yeah, I mean, it's it's been fun kind of thinking of, of ways that I can apply everything that I've learned <laughs> to some new projects. And on the community level, it's been interesting having been, you know, from my point of view, having been immersed in uh, literary fiction for 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 a few years in my MFA, and through my um, writing podcasts and seeing the that that community, and then coming into RPGs a bit later, and seeing that community and seeing how it develops, but interesting, a lot of the parallels I see between you know new writers in both what they're doing, what they're trying to do, how they engage with with their work. Um, there's differences, but it's, you know, people are still trying to do things like, how can I innovate? How can I make this adventure that's only like one page long? How can I make an RPG that's only two sentences long? Or mm-hmm. um, how can I write? Or like, you know, I'm finally publishing my big novel, but it's not a novel. It's a full like 10 level D&D adventure. But it, it's interesting how that mindset feels the same, even though it's different kinds of writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, um, and what I notice is like a lot of times when when writers start writing RPG content, they're approaching it like a fiction writer, which of course it's it's fiction in the sense that these are you know fictional places and characters and things like that, but it's not necessarily the same uh, you know formula. So it's it's fun to kind of uh, go back and forth between different you know literary mediums, and and I think they all benefit each other. And I think that in general, writers should write different kinds of things. Like I love to write poetry. I am interested in maybe writing like a screenplay someday. I used to write like a lot of uh, like one shot theater, you know, plays just like short little um, scenes and things like that, like a long time ago, which I think is, is interesting to me because RPG content is very, you know, theatrical. And I think that my early interest in that really lended itself well to writing RPG content. So yeah, there's, there's so many ways to be a writer. And I think every form of uh, literary every literary medium like helps another one out which i think is really cool how do you uh one thing i'm curious one last thing i'm curious about from your, sort of your general philosophy is um how do, when you want to tell these stories how do you avoid railroading the uh the right the the players how do you uh, that's the mistake i think people make that i've made when i'm writing something um for a, a, a game and you're wanting to tell a story like you, you know, you really want to hit the beats you want to tell and have the effects you want to have. How do you plan for people who might not uh, have that same effect? How do you plan for 
so they, so they can still feel choices and still have your story be effective. Yeah, well, for me, I always think of it that it's it's not railroading to me personally is not preventing one like specific story arc from happening. It's providing options for how it plays out. So you might still have this overarching, you know, narrative beat that or narrative, you know, uh, story that you've presented to a dungeon master. But what's railroading is forcing the characters to get to that endpoint through one path. And so I think that to me, that's kind of the a main misconception of it. Like, of course, the, the more options that you can provide a dungeon master for how a story concludes, the better. And I think for new writers, though, it's it's okay to think like, okay, I have this, um, you know, I want characters to have to go to this forest and encounter a witch to get this magical item, for example. But that's that's okay if that's like your set story. And maybe the goal of the adventure is to get this magical item. What prevents railroading is giving the characters lots of options for how they accomplish that. So it's not that they have to kill the witch in order to get the magical item. If that's the only option you give them, that's a bit railroady. If you give them options to sneak into her cabin or negotiate with her, or if you do want to, you know, dispatch her, there's, you know, creative ways to do that, you know, versus straight out combat. Uh, there's, you know, there's lots of uh, options there for how you accomplish the goal. So I think for for new authors, new RPG writers, it's okay to have a specific story in mind with a specific outcome, but be sure to account for the many different ways that that outcome can be accomplished. And for me, I try to always keep that in mind to prevent railroading. And I think that as you get more into RPG writing, you can create more complex and nuanced story paths that don't necessarily have one clear ending. But I think that as long as you're giving players lots of choices, that is really the most important thing. It's just that they you you shouldn't have one specific thing that happens in your adventure, because if that thing doesn't happen, then the players can't proceed. And so if you can avoid those, you know, pitfalls of if you fail this check, and that's the only check that would let you get to the next point of the adventure, then the adventure is done. If you fail that check, then, you know, that's, that's an example of railroading. So yeah, it's just a matter of player choice. But I think that that gets easier over time, the more you write narrative design content, the the more you're thinking like a narrative designer, and you're thinking about how to create one story with many outcomes. It just takes practice. It, it can be hard. I would say like my early adventures are f- fairly railroady. And that's just how they are. And that's okay, but because my other ones got better after that, because I learned how to present more interesting uh, scenarios and choices. So um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's what I would advise for that. And then I would also arise of thinking it differently from a story. Of course, it's a story. All of these are stories that we're playing together. They're communal stories, but they're not necessarily stories that have one clear path, one clear, you know, narrative arc. So it just kind of requires a, a shift in thinking a bit. Yeah, I th- that's, I think, really, really interesting, advice, really good advice. Um, and I want to transition a bit now to more specific projects um, that you've worked on or um, are working on. Uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden just came out a couple days ago. And um, I believe that was your that was your it's your first official work with with wizards with Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, correct. Uh, I would say that all the other projects that I've done with them have just been through the Guild Adepts, where we've done like supplemental things uh, with their support, and usually in conjunction with Wizards of the Coast. But in terms of you know a large scale official project, yes, this is this is my first one with them. 
so how did how did that uh how did that come about how did you get involved you know how did you transition to being you know co-author for the the big 2020 release sure so i think that each book is a little different and this is just kind of how the process for this one went so i can't necessarily speak to how this works for every single title that they publish but I would say that for me, it was probably a mix of factors. I, to be honest, don't know 100% sure how I was approached. What I think <laughs> is that, I mean, I was, you know, a guild adept uh, for a year and a half. And so I had worked on projects, you know, with Adventurers League. I had worked on projects uh, with Wizards, like the supplemental things that the guild adepts produce uh, with wizard support. So I feel like I, you know, new people who, you know, worked on, you know, the official teams and things like that. So I think my name was kind of floated around for, for things possibly. And then I do know that Chris Perkins had started a Twitter thread where he asked for, uh, you know, people's favorite, you know, D&D writers, people in the community who were doing cool stuff and people, you know, mentioned my name in that thread. So I'm sure that helped a lot to which I say, I say thanks to everyone who mentioned my name because that, you know, always <laughs> helps. And I, so I, th- I think it's probably a combination of things. I don't know exactly. I mean, when you get approached, they're not like necessarily, hey, I am approaching you for these specific reasons. So I think that just at that point, my body of work was, you know, building and, you know, I had a pretty decent portfolio by, by that point. And I, don't know. I guess I was just in the right place at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> These things happen, but so and what was it like? We know, you know, I, I mean, obviously, I can I imagine there's a certain degree of of greater pressure um, when you're working in that sort of thing. But how did it, um, how did it feel working on that? Um, was it much different from other? You know, you've, you know, obviously, you've been kind of the you've been managing people on anthologies for a while and you've got experience with, with that kind of thing, but was it, was it different leading this, this, this project off? Yeah. I mean, I would say that in a lot of ways, I felt a lot less pressure with Frostmated than I did with Uncaged because for Uncaged, it was, you know, a project that I was managing and producing. And I feel like I had a responsibility to everyone involved in Uncaged to make sure that, you know, they were, proud of what we were creating and then they felt that their work was fairly represented. So with Uncage, I felt way more pressure than I did with Frostmaiden because when it comes to Frostmaiden, like I am, you know, a co-author and part of the writing team, but I'm not necessarily the person, you know, making the book happen. Uh, unlike with Uncage where it's like, it was, you know, my responsibility to make sure those books got published and finished, of course. And so with Frostmaiden, I was excited to kind of just be a writer <laughs> for a project and, it was, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the people that I got to write the book with. We became really close throughout the course of of the project. And we, you know, would set up our own little informal, you know, video chats just to check in. We were always giving each other moral support. And I mean, there's certainly pressure given that this is a big project. It's published all over the world, you know, lots of people play it. But I I don't know, when I do things with a team, I feel like the burden is kind of spread across everyone who participates in it. So I don't feel like when it's when it's projects that I do the bulk of the work on, I feel a lot differently. I do feel like it's the pressure is mostly on me. But for this one, I feel like I I know that I, you know, did my best. And I try to always turn, you know, my work in on deadline. And um, I, you know, tried to I, I hope that my contributions will be enjoyed by people playing the book. 
But I also knew that it was being produced by, you know, a big team. It had a lot of resources behind it. You know, there's always great editors who work on the official books. And so I kind of felt okay. I kind of felt like in a way I could kind of relax in some aspects. Of course, it's not it's not because it's not hard work, but because I wasn't spearheading this whole thing. So yeah, I mean, it felt kind of good. You could, you, yeah, you, you could, you could delegate, you could delegate stuff and know that it was going to get done and be done. Yeah, well, and know, I didn't even possible, right? I didn't even have to serve as like a project manager, or, like, if anything, things were just delegated yeah. to me, I just got my assignments and <laughs> my deadlines. And I worked on my parts and I turned them in. And that was, you know, how this project went. So in that way, it was even though the pressure of making good work is, of course, there, the other pressure of, you know, having to produce this big thing was not there. So um, that was kind of a nice, a nice break from the other projects that I had been doing up until then. Now, uh, I imagine you, you worked on, on several, I don't know if there were, if there was a specific stuff you were in charge of, or, uh, you know, I'm not sure what your areas, I'm not sure how division of labor works. Obviously you have, you know, um, many, many authors and you had such a killer lineup of, of, of writers, um, working on it, but you know, it, was there something that you, you know, wrote and helped create? in rhyme that really was like sort of your favorite thing almost like you're sort of like your baby in the in the adventure oh that's a good question um so along with the other writers so like part of my one of my assignments was to write a whole chapter and then i wrote uh some smaller chapters and encounters throughout so i feel like we were all kind of given equal parts of the book to write and that's pretty standard for how these books come together so i feel like my contribution is equal to what other people uh, contributed um i would say that I don't know. There's a lot of little things I really enjoy in this book. I really liked, there's, there's this one encounter where you meet these two winter wolves uh, named Corrin and Kanan. And they're kind of like these bullies. They kind of remind me of the hyenas and uh, the Lion King and personality. Like they're kind of these, like, they're kind of sneaky. They're kind of silly, but they're also a little evil because they kind of work for the bad guy. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so, uh, but characters can encounter these wolves who try to lure them to this like frost giant lodge. And I really liked, because uh, my, my directive for that chapter was basically just like these two wolves are extorting people from this town. And so that's pretty much all I have had to go off of. So I was like, well, it'd be fun to give these wolves like really kind of funny personalities. So they have like this double act where they try to, uh, you know, coerce people into following them to this lodge, uh, probably for, you know, slaughter or some, some nefarious mm -hmm. purposes. But I just love the idea of these like big winter wolves do putting on this like act where one like, you know, pretends to be like injured. And then like, I don't know, they just do this like sad puppy act. And I think that that's really fun. So I, uh, I think that that'll be a fun uh, encounter for for parties, because the wolves are gigantic, of course, and they're scary, but they're also kind of cute and silly. So that's that was one of my favorite things. And um, I was excited when I turned in that draft and Chris Perkins was like, I love this. And I'm like, okay, good. I'm glad. <laughs> because I don't know if it's exactly <laughs> what you had in mind for that particular section. But uh, that's, that's the direction I took with it. So that's always nice to, to know that your uh, creative vision is, uh, is accepted by, <laughs> by others is, is a nice feeling. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's something that I loved about the, the adventure. Um, and anyone who's you know is in D and D probably has you know heard about it and hopefully will check it out. But uh, those little 
encounters are so uh, cool. And um, I'm not surprised considering what you've, you know, what you've told me, what you like to like to do with writing, uh, you know, that atmospheric uh, quality that and the feeling for the, you know, the location that does come out very strong in that throughout the adventure. And I don't know if that could just be coincidence or, you know, genuinely be, you know, your influence because I don't get, I don't know, division of labor and such a collaborative thing. It's hard to say, but uh, those kind of things are just really, really neat. And uh, I understand why it'd be hard to pick one because there's a lot of cool little things like those, those two wolves. Yeah. I mean, I definitely can't take credit for, for all of the atmosphere in the book because that was partly what, excited me about coming on board for the project anyway, because I mean, I, I was, I was excited in general to be invited to work on an official hardcover book, of course, but I don't, this is going to sound snotty and I don't intend it to be snotty, but I don't know. I wouldn't have necessarily said yes to just any project. I always want to make sure that I'm saying yes to projects that I feel I can really contribute something important or a value. And so when I got the information about this book, like knowing that it was going to be so atmospheric, like really sealed the deal for me. And so I am glad that this is the book that I got to participate on because I really feel like it does it does hit a lot of notes that I enjoy pursuing in my own work. And so yeah, I feel really fortunate to have been involved in this particular story because it really does appeal to me in so many different ways. But I think when it comes to atmosphere, that's definitely a collaborative effort that was established early on in this project, you know, by, you know, Chris Perkins. Atmosphere is literally what the whole book is about, which is really cool and it's environmental and so yeah, I'm but I'm glad that I got to work on such a such an atmospheric dense book for sure. Now that I want to transition from something that just released to something that is, uh, you know, upcoming. It's currently on Kickstarter, um, and that is uh, Hecna. Is that how it's being pronounced? I can't. I can. I keep switching between Hecna and Hecna. It's yeah. It's Hecna, like Vecna from D and D. Oh, that. Yep. I'll yep. do it. Uh, you are the uh, lead lead writer on it. Correct. Right? Um, now was this something that? You know, some, was it something that was all that hit point was a hit point press is publishing it? Um, did, were they sort of they, they come up with it and they approach you or did you have a did you have a say in the, you know, sort of the, the, the theme of this or? Um, a little bit of both. For the most part, they had had the idea for Hecna, which actually started off as kind of a joke. It was supposed to be a play on Vecna, um, I think a few years ago. And they had had this very kind of loose concept for a carnival campaign setting. And they, I think, had come up with like a couple, like a handful of creatures and spells. Like there was some thematic things related to it, but I don't, my understanding is that they hadn't made a ton of progress on that yet. So they had approached me last year um, and asked if I would want to write this project. And I love dark fantasy. I love, you know, anything kind of spooky, meet silly. So uh, the the theme of it was totally up my alley because I, I think eventually I probably would have written my own carnival themed campaign eventually. So it just so happened that I now don't have to because I got to work with Hit Point Press on one. So yeah, they had approached me last year. Actually, it was I think I got approached for both Frostmaiden and Hecna pretty close around the same time. 
Uh, which is funny. Last year was very busy and yeah. And then, yeah, they approached me to, to write it and, you know, they, they supplied me with, you know, an outline and I, from there just turned it into, you know, a wireframe and then into, you know, a full book, of course, in conjunction with their team, like none of these projects are ever done in a vacuum. They're always group projects. And I have an awesome editor, uh, TRO, uh, with whom I work, you know, pretty closely on, on developmental things like that. But yeah, it was, it was exciting to have the chance to, actually, you know, take the lead on, on writing the bulk of this book. I've never, this is probably the longest project I've written in terms of word count, uh, because I've, you know, worked on lots of big projects before, but this one is, you know, fairly substantial in terms of actually writing it. So yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun and it's, it's mostly done, but you know, we're still working on some aspects of that. And the Kickstarter has been really exciting to watch. And yeah, it, it was, it's been great working with Hitpoint Press for sure. And it's a, this is a entire, uh, it's a, it's a whole setting. Um, I, I believe not just sort of a, you know, contained, you know, adventure, mm-hmm. got all kinds of, uh, stuff. So, um, how, what's that been like kind of having that broader mandate when it comes to writing of it? Yeah, it's been both exciting and intimidating because although I feel like I've written, a lot of D&D content at this point, actually planning out a campaign from start to finish is a far different endeavor. So in that sense, I, even though, you know, I, I had, you know, some ideas provided by Hitpoint Press, it really was kind of in my lap to really, you know, strategize this whole campaign. And so that, that's been really fun. It's, it's definitely been a challenge, but it's been a good challenge. I feel way more equipped to write another book in the future, hopefully. So, uh, yeah, but I definitely had to kind of think a little bit differently and my RPG process changed a bit because I'm used to writing one shot adventures. I'm used to writing chapters in, you know, projects like, um, uh, Frostmaiden and things like that. And so writing a whole whole book is a, you know, very different thing. So I just had to be very organized and I just made, you know, very thorough outlines more so than I would for other projects. And, uh, for me, like this is a very, you know, atmospheric setting. It's, it's a, you know, horror themed, but it also has these moments of brevity and just pure silliness and wackiness. And so it was important to me to have that theme maintained throughout and to make sure that it could, even though it has a very specific uh, feel that it would still, appeal to different types of players and groups. And yeah, so it's just been a matter of, you know, fleshing out chapter at a time, working with the team, uh, coming up with concepts. What was cool is that I got to do a more creature design in terms of like coming up with the unique creatures in this book. And then I uh, worked with Ryan Service from 2C Gaming to actually create those stat blocks, um, which is not my strong suit. <laughs> not a huge fan of actually making stat blocks, but I like the creature design. So that was really fun is like creating like, what kind of creature would be appropriate here? And uh, coming up with that, I just, I had a blast with that. So that was really fun because usually I just use, you know, what's available to me in the monster manual and things like that, but it doesn't work like that when you have a whole new campaign setting. So yeah, I feel like I've learned a lot. It's been really fun. It's been challenging. And I think people will really like it because it is, it is a different kind of campaign. And we have some cool, um, like storytelling mechanics, just with like, we, we have this like a uh, card system of, you know, picking your encounters and that helps, uh, dungeon masters, you know, create, uh, different kinds of campaign narratives. And there's a lot of replayability and 
I just think it has a fun story. I love the titular character, Hekna. Um, his design was something that I got to come up with, which was really cool because I wanted to make him recognizable as a clown, but not go the kind of typical clown route. You know, I wanted to give him some unique details. So that was really cool. And yeah, I got to pull in a lot of inspiration from things that I love. I love carnivals and circuses. Um, it's kind of this mix between, you know, classic both like Renaissance era, like carnivals, um, and then, uh, you know, Victorian era sideshows, but also these anachronistic things like 80s movies and video games. So it's this kind of mashup of, of genres, which I find really fun. That is very cool. How do you approach, um, you know, this can, this is sort of a more, back to a more general question, but obviously you've had to engage with it a lot when writing, um, writing Hecna. How do you, create horror on the tabletop again that's a something that is um you know it's obviously very subjective like with any emotion you're trying to evoke but horror especially seems like it could be hard um to work for people how do you uh what do you do to make something scary yeah well and it's funny because i don't necessarily think of myself as like a horror author and yet pretty much every project I work on has elements of horror in it so I guess I guess I am at this point but I I don't know it's it's interesting to me because I wouldn't necessarily even say that horror is my favorite genre personally but what I like about horror stories is that they do tend to be atmospheric so again they have these very distinct like themes and and like kind of feelings that they evoke and I think that what's what's fun about playing horror games is that there's so many different types of horror. So there's not just one aspect of horror that everyone enjoys. But when you find the ones that you really like, which for me are like, I like really unique creature design, obviously, like with Uncaged, I like, I like monsters, I like, um, you know, scary settings, like in Icewind Dale, like even though that's not necessarily inherently scary, this Arctic landscape, there's a lot that's very frightening about it. And then of course, Hecna is like kind of classically spooky, where there's, you know, there's puppets and creepy clowns and things like that. And so for me, the the link there, though, is that it's always as it's either as scary as you want it or as kind of fun and silly as you want it. So for me, that balance there is really important. But if you do like more, you know, traditional horror that doesn't have those lighter moments, which is totally valid. I think it's a matter of just making sure that everyone you're playing these games with is comfortable with that. And so for a show I used to do for the D&D Twitch channel. It's called Tales from the Mist. And that was a Ravenloft themed show, which was very classically horror. And we used the TTRPG uh, safety kit, safety toolkit in our show, which is a, it's an awesome resource, but it basically helps a dungeon master check in with their players throughout a scary session to make sure that, you know, all of the themes are okay and not making anyone too uncomfortable. And, we, you know, it's, there's like this lines and veils system, like what are like hard lines for you? Like what are things that you just are too disturbing for you that you don't want to explore in the game? And then if that's a line for you, then we will not pursue it and the game won't suffer for it whatsoever. And then veils are like things that are a little bit, maybe could be a line depends on how far it goes into that. And I think what there, there's a common misconception that using these safety tools makes horror games like less fun or less scary. And that is absolutely not the case. It's just a matter of making sure that everyone feels comfortable because not all horror is equal. And sometimes things are just for shock value or they're kind of messed up. And that's not really fun for everyone to 
be reminded of certain things. Um, so I think it's just, I think it's just a balance, but I think horror is one of the most fun genres to explore in RPGs. And there's luckily a lot of really cool game systems that are horror specific. So yeah, I think just make sure that you're always on the same page with the people that you're playing with so that it, it, it should remain fun and entertaining, even when it's scary. Yeah, it's really important, I think. And that's, I mean, that's important with every, you know, I, th- I think that RPG kit is important for any game you run, whether it's horror mm-hmm. or not. You know, I've seen so many things recently in, you know, where that had that sort of consent is is necessary mm-hmm. for anything in, in RPGs. Um, but yeah, horror really, you know, really definitely requires it because of that, the fact that it plays on things that aren't comfortable. Uh, you know, you're not supposed to be comfortable when there's horror, right. you know. And so how far you can push that is entirely, you've really got to set those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that it's, it, it basically frees you up to do the scarier things when you've established those expectations. Like then it's like, okay, now we can go full in on this because we know what everyone, you know, wants to avoid. And I think that makes it fun and it unlocks creativity. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's always a good thing to have those expectations at the table. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, it's hard to, hard to say you've, you've always got so many, so many plates spinning as we said <laughs> earlier, but, um, is there anything, is there anything we can look forward to from you that you're working on, you know, that might be coming up that's in addition to <laughs> what, what we already know about, or that's, you know, that's what we've talked about already. Hmm. I mean, that would definitely be the big one and obviously Frostmaiden. And I, um, I always have some things in progress. I would say that a lot of my kind of upcoming focuses will probably be related to the RPG Writer Workshop, uh, developing more courses and, you know, expanding that community. And I, I don't know, I, I always have, you know, concepts for things I want to publish on Dungeon Masters Guild. I am really focusing more on fiction writing, but I don't really have any specific projects to report for that just yet. Uh, ask me in a year when I've finished a project. Um, just because I, it, it is important to me as a writer that I don't neglect other types of writing that I enjoy. And I feel incredibly blessed and fortunate to have worked on so many amazing RPG uh, projects in the past few years, but that's not my only passion as a writer. So I am trying to uh, set some 2021 plans that are more, um, or that expand beyond just RPG content. But of course, that is you know, a big passion of mine as well. So I would yeah. like to continue writing uh, more solo adventures. I have one solo adventure that I had published to Dungeon Masters Guild called The Executioner's Daughter. And I've had this the second two stories in that trilogy, like at 90% completion for about two years now. And I love that kind of writing because to me, it, it is very literary, but it's also adventure content. So I think that I would like to maybe pursue more opportunities like that to really like kind of get to stretch my prose muscles, but also write fun games. So we'll see. Maybe more projects like that will will be yeah. on my agenda. One thing I did want to ask about, um, you know, checking my notes is uh, how is the short story September going? Yeah, so that's been, oh, it's been so fun. So short story September <laughs> is a writing challenge that I am running through my Patreon group uh, through my business called Scribe Mind. So what I do with Scribe Mind is throughout the year, I run different types of writing challenges. So we did Flash Fiction February, we did April Poetry Month, we did uh, June Journaling, and then now it's uh, short story September. So the goal with each of those months is just to provide a fun 
you know, low stakes writing challenge for writers, you know, and I, I think that these are, you know, different types of writing mediums that I personally enjoy. And we just have such a nice little community around it. But I think it's kind of a nice break from everything else that's going on in the world to have a goal that doesn't feel like it's too overwhelming. And really the goal of the short story September is to help people complete a short story that they hopefully will submit to a literary journal of their choice if that's what they want to do. And throughout the month, we're just, uh, we're reading other short stories. Uh, I co- uh, I partnered with uh, Beth Ball, who is well known in the RPG community uh, for a D&D duet. And she's also a very prolific author. She's written books and she is also a writing teacher. And so between the two of us, we're just really passionate about teaching writing and help helping writers uh, find resources that really work for them and their projects. So she wrote these amazing uh, like story craft emails that our participants are receiving. So yeah, it's it's been super fun. Uh, lots of participants are writing stories. Some have finished their stories and are in editing phases and developmental phases. And it's really great. I'm always inspired by other writers. And I feel like I selfishly get a lot out of running these writing challenges, uh, which I guess is a good outcome. I definitely feel like teaching makes you better at things. And so whenever I lead a challenge, I always feel like I've also improved my craft in some way. But yeah, that's been fun, because it has allowed me to focus on something that wasn't RPG writing. But of course, with people who are you know, fellow RPG fans. But I think that's that's important to me to have that balance there because I I love everything having to do with D&D, but um, I don't want to lose myself in just one aspect of writing, you know? Yeah. Uh, I always like to finish out with a couple, with one or two kind of more fluffy questions, but sometimes often the hardest one for, for interviews is, um, do you have a, a, a book? Um, and this can be, you know, this could be, a, an RPG adventure, something that you read, or it could be a, a literary book because um, the things are so intertwined. But do you have a favorite or one that's really, really stuck out as a, something that's really been influential uh, or just one you've read recently that you've really liked? Yeah, I mean, I love to read. And of course, I do have lots of favorite books, but I do feel like one of my all-time favorite books is called Deathless by Catherine M. Valent. I think that's how you say her last name. She's a prolific fantasy speculative fiction author. She's amazing. But Deathless is a retelling of the Koshe the Deathless uh, Russian myth uh, featuring Maria Morevna. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a it's an old Russian folklore uh, features, you know, Baba Yaga mm-hmm. and all the, you know, all the good, the good classic characters from from Russian mythology, which is a huge passion of mine. I'm, I'm half Russian. And so I love uh, delving into, you know, the folklore of my heritage. And I love that book because it is so uniquely written. And as someone who just like adores retellings, um, it's like one of the most unique retellings that I've ever read. And in part because it's basically set in like World War II era, which is another one of my passions. I love anything having to do with World War II. I obsess over reading books about World War II in my personal life. And I love like just that era of history and very passionate about it. So this book really like ticks all my boxes. It's a folklore retelling set in World War II, but using some really abstract, fantastical language. It has a really great, you know, 
heroine. She's just an awesome main character. And it's just, it's an incredible book. I reread it all the time. I sometimes just like pick it up and I just like start reading, even if like I'm in the middle of it, just because the prose itself inspires me. And it's just a, it's just an awesome book. So that's definitely like I, what I consider a must read, but it's kind of a weird book. So I don't know if it has, I don't know if it would be super appealing to, it kind of depends on what you're into. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. just, it's just an, it's just an awesome book. And I did also want to mention that I read a lot of romance novels and I'm super into romance mm. novels. And I think that they are a great form of uh, studying like plot driven literature and also like literature that has a lot of atmosphere. And I think romance novels get, you know, bad reputation for a lot of silly reasons, but I read romance novels really regularly. And I find that it actually has helped me a lot as a writer to think about plot and to think about um, new ways to turn tropes on their head. So I would say that in general, romance novels as as a genre are something that I'm really excited about. That is interesting. It's not, I mean, it's, uh, and a lot of people who love romance novels, and uh, I think they definitely get a bad rap from all mm-hmm. kinds of writers, even people who write other plot-heavy uh, speculative mm-hmm. fiction, like science fiction or fantasy writers, which, from my experience, are not necessarily any better or worse for the things people complain about with romance mm-hmm. novels, but they sometimes get a bad rap. So um, it is always fun to see people who just unabashed in their, their love for the genre. Yeah, for sure. I'm a big, a big supporter of romance novels. I mean, I, I, I love classic literature. I love, you know, the canon, the Mm -hmm. Western canon of literature. And I've studied literature. Like, I feel like people are kind of snobby toward romance novels. And I think it's because they just don't read them enough. There's, there's something there for everyone. They're not just, I don't know, I think people have um, misconceptions about it. But I think just as a writer, they've really just helped me a lot just to think through like how, how to make a story fun and approachable without losing, you know, things that I personally value, like beautiful prose. And I think that you can accomplish all those things. So yeah, they're, I think, well, worth reading just to study for sure. And the other thing uh, that I don't really ask a lot of writers because it doesn't often come up, but I'm curious uh, when you're playing or even something just thinking about conceptually do you have a a D&D class that you love to play or write for or things like that yes 100% warlocks are my favorite oh (laughs) I am team warlock forever and ever I which is funny because people assume just because of my love for books that I would probably pick wizards and I you know think wizards are great but I love warlocks because to me the relationship between warlocks and patrons is to me like a representation of like knowledge, at least in my own life. Like for me, Mm -hmm. the pursuit of knowledge is kind of a gray area. It's not inherently good. It's not inherently evil. It's just something that drives people and it drives me personally. And so I love playing warlocks that aren't like, I never play an evil warlock. I only play good warlocks just because I think that that's a fun build. And I think there's this like assumption that just because you have a, otherworldly patron that you're somehow like nefarious in some way. And I just think warlocks are so fun. They're so cool to write for. I usually include warlocks in pretty much every RPG thing that I write to the annoyance of my editors. Cause they're like, there's too many <laughs> warlocks here, but I just, I think they're fun to flavor because you can have so many different patrons. I love the idea of patrons being like kind of abstract concepts and things like that. Like you can just really get really creative with a warlock. So yeah, that's, that's hands down my favorite, but I, I don't know. I've played a lot of different D and D classes and they, I think they all have, 
I think they're all fun in their own ways. It's just a matter of how you flavor them and, uh, you know, what their, what their story is and what their motivations are. But yeah, I, I could probably play a version of a warlock for like forever and not get bored. <laughs> now, one thing, loving warlock so much, what's the difference? And this is something that I see people bring up a lot. What's the difference between a warlock and a cleric? Yeah, well, I think that those relationships can be pretty similar. Um, and I think even for mm-hmm. clerics, like that, I think you could have a similar build where you don't necessarily have this god who's might be all good you know there's evil gods and you can play you know clerics trickster clerics i think are really fun i think trickster clerics to me are very warlock-esque in the sense that you might have a person who or some sort of entity that's giving you power and their goals might be different from your goals so i don't know if there necessarily is a lot of difference in you know between the two i think it's just how they've kind of been established mechanically that a warlock to me a warlock patron can be a lot of different things whereas traditionally of course this isn't 100% the case but clerics tend to have deities as their sources of power yeah. um but a deity mm-hmm. could be a lot of different things too i just find that for me personally i like thinking of patronage in unique ways and i think that that's fun but yeah i think a cleric definitely mirrors that and i i think it would be fun to see more clerics that are a little bit uh, avant-garde where can Obviously, I'll put links in. But where can where can people find you? Where can they follow you to keep up with your writing or keep or keep up with your uh, with the stuff that you're working sure, on? Sure, my website is scribemind.com. Scribe and mind; those words just smushed together, and that's the best place because that's kind of my hub. And even if I forget to post something on social media, it'll usually be on my website somewhere. And also, my website has links to all my social media profiles. So that's the best place to both get in touch with me and also uh, find out what I'm doing. But you can also follow me on Twitter at Ashley and H. Warren and on Instagram at ScribeMindStudio. Uh, I really, I actually prefer Instagram to Twitter, but I'm active on Twitter. So we can connect however you want. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and talking about all your different all your different work. Yeah, thank you for having me. I know we've been trying to make time for a long time, so I'm glad it finally worked out.
Yeah.